Welcome to the Reframers Podcast. Arguing with friends and fam about politics is hard. New plan. Let's reframe what it means to discuss and disagree by talking and listening to each other. We're the Reframers. Hello, Reframers. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am Cassie, and I'm joined with my co-hosts, Zach and Aaron. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing good. How are you, Zach? I'm doing good as well. I'm excited to be here for another episode of The Reframers. And today, we're going to be talking about the midterm elections, which will take place November 8th of this year. So trying to get it out so all you guys can be informed before going off. I know. I'm glad we're talking about this right now because... I feel like I've just seen the packet sitting on my kitchen table for, it's like, I don't even know how long it's been there, but I think it's high time we talk about it. I do want to apologize in advance for my voice. I am fresh off of a bachelorette weekend and Scottsdale definitely got the best of my, my eardrums. Holy cow, it's a loud city and my, my voice box. So I'm going to do my best, <laughs> but we're going to talk about the midterm election that's coming up. It's November, right? Same as same as other elections. And then November eighth. November eighth. Easy. And then really we're gonna focus on what are the midterms? Why do they exist? Why why do we do them? That'll include the terms, why some things that we vote on are every four years versus some are every two. We're gonna talk a little bit about who's up for election. And then at the end for our California folks, we're gonna do a prop overview. So we're going to talk about the propositions that are on the ballot and give you guys some insight before you have to jump in and vote for yourselves. So let's get started. So the midterm elections are so-called midterm because they take place in between the presidential election cycle. So if you may or may not know, president elections are held every four years. So the last one was 2020. The next one will be 2024. Because we are in the year 2022, it is happening in the middle. So colloquially, it's called the midterm. Basically, this is a situation where House members are, are elected. Members of the House of Representatives are elected every two years. So their term is always up. They're constantly, practically, constantly campaigning, seeking re-election. They have the shortest term of the elected offices federally. Now... U.S. senators are elected every six years, so theirs kind of comes every other midterm because sometimes it's on a mid, sometimes it's on a presidential election, and then the president is obviously elected every four years. So this is a midterm election, and in the middle of Biden's first term, this will determine whether he gets to enjoy a Democrat majority for the rest of his, his term or if maybe there's a change in, in dynamics. And Republicans, you know, take one or both houses. And, and now he's met with kind of a locked government. It's a very important election. Typically turnout is less in midterm elections than in, in regulars, but they're still important and they matter just as much as, as presidential elections do. I just want to jump in real quick on the term lengths for representatives in the House and then senators who are in the Senate. So having the two years for the House was very intentional. These term lengths are set forth in the Constitution. So the founders thought about this. And if you think about it, if you're a representative and you have to get elected every two years, you have to be pretty in the know with all of your constituents and really kind of like campaigning with them and knowing what's going on in your state and in your district specifically because House reps are elected by district. Um, 
not by state. And so they really are intended to be very responsive to the people and to their constituents. In the Senate, the senators are also supposed to be, you know, pretty responsive, but they have that longer six-year term and they're elected by state, not by district. And so every state only has two senators. House members are determined by the population of the state. So for instance, we just did a census in which happens every 10 years. In California, for example, lost one of our house seats because our population went down and it got redistributed. So that's kind of an interesting thing that happens too. But I just think it's it's kind of important to know like the cadence of these elections because you only get to vote for your state senator every six years for their term and you only have two senators. So it's really important to pay attention to these midterm elections because, you know, they only come around so often. And also they really affect what kinds of legislation are going to get passed at a federal level because of the majorities. And as Zach mentioned, it's a big deal this year because the Democrats currently right now hold majorities in the House. They have a majority in the Senate because of their vote from the vice president. They have exactly a 50-50 split, but on tiebreakers, the vice president will vote with the Democrats because she's a Democrat. And we also hold, well, the Democrats also hold the executive with President Biden. So it's dem, dem, dem across the board. And if that flips over, it's going to make it really hard for the Democrats to pass more legislation because they won't have majorities. So that's one of the reasons why the midterms in particular are really important because it kind of determines what the president can do for their final two years in office. And and the president's first year, really, first hundred days, first years, typically their most, that's when they get the most things done if they have, because they have the most political capital, so to speak. So they have the most goodwill, they're, they're untested. So people are more willing to work with them. And then usually that momentum kind of diminishes. So if you're a Democrat, it's really important that the Democrats hold a majority in both houses because already that momentum that Biden would have had is already largely dissipated by now. Just historically speaking, you know, not not saying in particular, but going forward, that's you really, if you're a Democrat, you really want to hold both houses because as Aaron mentioned, it'll get be much, much harder. You have to engage and work a lot more across the aisle to get things on your agenda done that you otherwise wouldn't have to work in a bipartisan nature to, to accomplish. Yeah, work in a bipartisan nature or just be blocked. You know, the... Right, exactly. Right, yeah. like the, the way you can do things, like one of the, one of the things that's potentially going to change if, say, the House, for example, switches over to Republican control instead of Democrat control. There's a lot of investigation that the House is doing right now. For example, the January 6th investigation, investigations into Trump, and if that switches over to the Republicans, you know, they probably will want to halt that investigation and could do their own investigation into things that maybe the Democrats wouldn't want them to do investigations into. So it actually does have some practice, some other practical effects, too. Yeah, and that's because the the party that is held the majority in the House also automatically then gets to head the chairs of each of the different committees. So the chair who sets the agenda and the goals for those individual committees, which there are numerous, is chaired by the, the leader of the majority. Does everyone know the fight in the midterms? This is pretty much always a thing where 
especially if you have majorities that are being held in all the houses of Congress and the executive for it to be this like, is the other party going to gain control? That's something that that has happened in recent years, in past years. It's always a big question of like, is this going to be basically in some ways people think of it as like a referendum on the president who is in the whose party is in control and how people feel about how they've done the first two years. Yeah, the implication being that if you're unhappy with how you know Biden is doing, you're going to vote Republican in the midterms because you want to block further his agenda and and not give him that leeway. And just to complete the loop, I guess, on this, it's because you have to have both houses or both branches of government, pardon me, both branches of government involved in agreement to sign a bill. So you have to get sign signatures and passages from the House and the Senate. So once both houses of Congress sign off a bill, that bill then goes to the president to sign before it can take effect as a law. And that's a really good point for right now, because at least with the current talk, and I think there's a big caveat because polls have been very difficult the last few years, especially. And I think we need to be skeptical of some of the polling because it's not turned out to be the case, particularly in the presidential elections. But so we can be skeptical of that. But what it looks like right now is that it seems likely that the Democrats will lose their majority in the House of Representatives and potentially likely that they will keep their majority in the Senate, although I would say that's kind of up for grabs right now. And it's a little hard to tell exactly what's going to happen in the Senate. So there's a lot of talk, obviously, about, you know, how this is going to play out and lots of work being done by both parties to try and raise money and, you know, sell ads and influence everyone so that, you know, their party will win. That's happening on both sides right now. And there's a particular there's a couple of dates that have become sort of these battleground type states, which we think about in a presidential election of like, oh, that's a swing state. But that also happens in these midterm elections and they have just as much of an effect. Yeah. So let's get into to some of the breakdown then of, of what is the current situation, maybe starting with the House, because that's the bigger the bigger chamber. So just as a refresher, the House consists of 435 representatives based on population from each state. So as Aaron mentioned at the top, California lost one of its representatives because of the overall population shift in the state. And currently, Democrats hold a 220 to 212 advantage in the U.S. House, and there's three vacancies at the moment. So what that amounts to is Republicans need to gain a net of six districts to win a majority of the chambers. So for all the different districts that are up for re-election, Republicans have to hold what they currently have plus win six more. Yep. And then for the Senate, it's a little trickier for the Democrats, at least, because they hold 50 seats right now. As a reminder, there's 100 seats in the Senate. It's two per state. And so the Republicans would need to hold all the seats they currently have and flip one seat in the Senate. And if they do that, then they hold a majority of, of the Senate. And just for reference, the 
Democrats are still trying to flip their own seats. They want to hold their majority, but also gain advantages. Mm -hmm. And the states they're particularly focused on right now are Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Wisconsin. And the Republicans are focused on getting rid of Democratic incumbents. So those are people who currently hold the seats in Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, and New Hampshire. Those are kind of the states at issue right now. It's actually like kind of funny. I was looking this up because I haven't really been paying that much attention, honestly, to like a lot of the races going on in other places. And I looked it up today and the first couple of things that popped up were Herschel Walker in Georgia, who people probably, I mean, you may have heard of him, but there was some scandal where he's this huge anti-abortion activist. And like today or yesterday, it came out that he may have paid for an abortion for an ex-girlfriend or something. That was like the salacious news that I read this morning. And then if anyone doesn't know, in Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz, who is this like TV personality, pseudo doctor guy is running. And there was something that came out, I think today or yesterday about him like performing experiments on like 300 puppies and killing them or something. So these are just like the random headlines. I'm not trying to overfocus on Republicans. I promise they're just the ones that popped up on my feed. And it was like, okay, this is where we're at talking about these like various candidates. So if you're tuning in, there's actually quite a bit there to to sift through. Yeah, the pencil rates it. Pencil ratio. The Pennsylvania race has been a big focus because, yeah, it's Dr. Oz running for the Republicans and then the guy. John Fetterman. John Fetterman, yeah, is running for the Democrats. And it, it's a it's a weird race because Fetterman suffered a stroke back in May, I I think, mm-hmm. April, May timeframe, something like that. And he was like totally gone from the campaign trail for months. And then recently has been back on the trail the last maybe month or so. And it's just people, you know, from the Republican side and, and maybe media in general are speculating, like, is this guy fit to serve? Obviously, being a senator is a big job. So there's some question of his his cognitive, you know, ability and, and things like that. But I didn't see hear this stuff about Dr. Oz, but that's sounds like another S show just in general. So and a what? I'll go back to what I said in the police episode, like have some integrity and be cognitive avail- cognitively available. So that's still my standard in case, <laughs> in case anybody was wondering. Yeah, and, and just to tack on the numbers here. 14 seats currently are held by Democrats that are up for re-election and 21 held by Republicans. So there's 35 of the 100 seats up for re-election for the Senate and 14 held by Democrats, 21 held by Republicans. That's the breakdown there on the the Senate map. I have a question. When you say up for re-election, can you clarify some people are not up for re-election? So it's not that everyone all at once is eligible the same years? Yeah. So the Senate is, is staggered where a third, you know, basically a third of the senatorial body is up for re-election every six years or every two years, sorry, every two years. So a Senate, a Senator's term is six years long and every two years, a third of the Senate rotates through. 
So that way the Senate maintains some institutional knowledge and, and functioning that happens, you know, despite the fact that incumbents typically are reelected, setting that part aside, only one third of the Senate body is up for reelection every two years just to kind of keep a certain degree of consistency. Is it exactly a third or roughly a third? It's roughly a third because we there's 100 senators, 50 states, and three doesn't divide into 100 evenly. So this this year is 35. I'm guessing another year is you know, 34, another year is 33 or something like that. Cool. It's roughly a third of the seats. There's a, there's a really great breakdown, you know, that I'm just referencing ballotpedia.org and they have pages for the United States Senate elections for this year, a similar page for the United States House elections. And if you really want to get into the weeds in terms of, you know, there's a section for house races without a majority party opposition. So it's like breaking down the exact districts where, okay, it looks like, you know, North Dakota district is going to be 100% Democrat because there's really not a, or 100% Republican because there's not a Democrat running in opposition. So like, if you really are interested in all the minutia and the the politicking that goes on in terms of who's likely to do what, Ballotpedia is a great resource for you to dig in there. Yeah, I just have to plus one on that. Ballotpedia is great. They also have data on endorsements so that was one of the things I looked at, too. I think it might be kind of interesting to just talk really uh, at a high level on, I think, the issues that are sort of at play in this midterm election. So on the Democrat side, I think it's a concern about the Dobbs decision and abortion rights. You know, I've been reading articles where people who are independent or even Republican leaning are saying, I think I might need to vote, you know, Democrat because I'm concerned about abortion being outlawed at a federal level, which some of these candidates have talked about doing. So I think that's really playing into some of the surge that the Democrats saw in the polling, at least over the summer. A lot of that has mellowed out since then. But I think that's a pretty significant issue for people in this election. And on the other side, I think that there's big concerns about high inflation and what's going on with the economy, which really cuts against Democrats, and then also low approval ratings for Joe Biden, which, you know, some of that is a little bit misleading because there's a lot of Democrats who are giving him low approval ratings who are still going to vote Democrat, right? But even I think the having it out there like, oh, so many people disapprove of him could sway some independent voters as well, saying, well, I don't, you know, really like what he's doing. So I think those are some of the big issues. And another factor I think at play in these midterms is former President Trump and his role. He's endorsed many candidates. And, you know, there were a bunch of candidates he endorsed in primaries who didn't win their primaries, but there's a lot who did. And there's a few who are particularly in the news and either, you know, are too extreme to be that popular. I think Carrie Lake, who's running for the Arizona governor, is one of those. Potentially, she still will win. It, it doesn't seem like she's pulling that way right now, but she has some pretty extreme views and has particularly really embraced the election fraud thing and saying that Trump actually won the 2020 election. And then Herschel Walker is another one who was a Trump endorsee 
And there's another one, I can't remember her name, in Nevada, who was also Trump-backed. And so it's just kind of interesting because I think it really still shows the influence that, that he had on these elections. And it's looking, I mean, this is really preliminary, but it's looking more and more likely like he might be the Republican nominee for president. Who knows? But it feels like it's trending in that direction, which is another reason why it'd be helpful for Republicans, if that's who their nominee is going to be, to win majorities in either the House or the Senate, because they can, you know, start start to deflect these Trump is a criminal, you know, type allegations and investigations. So I just want to put that out there because I think all of those factors are really present and something to be aware of as you're thinking about how you want to vote in this election. So in all things, we want to give you guys the opportunity to go ahead and do your own research. We have a few resources and references that we want to share with you, and I'll put these in the show notes as well. But can you, Zach and Aaron, just share a couple of the places that you would go to look into the midterms and decide for yourself, determine how you'd want to vote? Yeah, so as a like sort of general overview stuff, not state specific, The Economist has a whole section on the 2020 midterm elections that track data and has recent articles and things like that to keep you informed. I thought it was a pretty good page and a helpful resource. The Associated Press, which if you recall from our journalism episode, is one of the least biased news sources, also has a similar page that has information like that. So I think that's a a good one to go to, to look at sort of just general information about the midterms. As we mentioned, Ballotpedia has information on just everyone who's running and, you know, where they are all located. And that's, that's literally just data, you know, so that one's really helpful if you just want to know kind of like what's going on. And then for California specifically, CalMatters, has a page that has information on the different candidates and also the ballot measures. And I think that's a really good resource for California-based people. Yeah, and in addition to if you're California-based, I'm sure it's other states as well, but we get this, if if you're a California voter and you're registered to vote already, you get a voter information guide, which I'm holding up if you're watching this on video, which I think we will be making available very soon, if not already. Basically, it's a, a nice little handy packet that outlines all of this stuff. And it's free, like it's it should be sent to your house wherever you're registered to vote. So if you're like away at school and you didn't get one, it's like call your parents and make sure they didn't throw it away for you. But it has all the information in terms of like when voting by mail is due and when the polls are open and what day the poll is open. And then as well, there's... All of that that packet of, of information is also available online. That's voterguide.sos.ca.gov. And there's basically everything that's in this packet is also available on that website. And it goes through everybody who's running, you know, up for election, all the different propositions, ballot measures, and then, you know, where you can find your polling place. So all that is in here. Read it or we're going to go through some of it for you. But uh, it's a useful guide as well. All right. Thanks, guys. So next, we're going to do a California proposition overview. If you're curious or just want to sort of eavesdrop on California goings on, or if you're a California native, please stay tuned. Okay, guys, let's go through it. There's not that much. No, there's really not. So this year... 
California has seven propositions that are up for the voters to decide on. And basically what that means is if certain number of signatories, you know, if you get a certain number of signatures for a measure, Californians can propose laws directly from the voters, which is not every state has that mechanism, but the proposition system is something that California does have. So these are seven then measures that are being proposed that if they're, they've already made it to the ballot, so they will be there in November when we vote, but now it's up to us as the voters to decide whether we want these things to or not to pass and become a law. So there's seven. We can go through them, I think, relatively quickly just to give you a nice overview of here's what it means if you vote yes and if you vote no, et cetera. Thank you, because this is literally how I'm going to decide how to vote. Otherwise, I end up panic reading it the morning of the election, like in my car. I feel like I do that. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Pull the and I'm saying, it, I'm saying in know? my car, but really I'm reading it like in the booth because I've forgotten to turn in my vote by mail on time because that's who I am. So if you're like me, <laughs> take advantage of what's about to happen. All right. So the first is called Prop 1. This is the constitutional right to reproductive freedom legislation constitutional amendment. So the summary of this is basically this will amend the California constitution to expressly include an individual's fundamental right to reproductive freedom which includes the right to choose to have an abortion and the fundamental right to choose or refuse contraceptives. It does not narrow or limit the existing rights to privacy and equal protection under under the California Constitution. And this is included in all of the packet and, and information material as well, which is the fiscal impact. And the fiscal impact is no direct effect because reproductive rights are already protected by state law. So this is almost a redundancy, but being that California is a very progressive state, one that I'm not surprised to see on the ballot this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to note, Cassie, or Zach mentioned that California's proposition process is unique to the state. That's true. There are some other states that do this, but something that's important when a proposition amends the California Constitution is that it then can't be adjusted by the legislature. So they can't go in and make changes to it or even adjust the language or anything like that. It actually has to be changed by another proposition. So it's just something to be aware of when you're voting for propositions that might amend the constitution in, in California. And this, and this one does. So basically mm-hmm. the redundancy is that there is a law already that protects the right to abortion in California and, and contraceptives and things of that nature. But this is going that extra step and saying, no, actually, our, our California constitution is makes this unchangeable. So that's, yeah, the situation there. So a pro uh, or a yes, a vote yes, means that the constitution would be amended to expressly include that right. And then a no vote means the constitution remains unchanged, but the law still is in effect. So you're not, you're not voting to repeal anything. It's just do, do we or do we not amend the constitution to allow for this to, to go forward? This is the kind of one that I feel like confuses me because if it's already in the California constitution, are people going to feel like, oh, but it's, it's not. not. Okay. No. It, it's, it's a law that's passed, I don't... but it's not part of the constitution. So so we have we have the constitution of the United States, right? Mm-hmm. It's like Article 1 that establishes the legislature, Article 2 establishes the executive, blah, blah, blah. And then we have the Bill of Rights and the amendments. Like that that's our constitution. But 
for example, the law that says what the IRS can and can't do is not part of the Constitution. That's just federal law. The same holds true for the state. California has a state constitution that is, you know, establishing the structure of the state government of California. And then that state passes laws to govern its citizenry. And right now, the right to abortion is a state law, but it's not part of the Constitution. I was going to say that the reason that this matters is that it's kind of what I, I just mentioned in terms of like how you can amend the Constitution. So if it's just a law, then the legislature can repeal it, you know, if they, if they by a majority vote, for instance, could get rid of that law. If it's in the Constitution, the legislature can't do that because it's a right listed in the Constitution. So it is more protected by putting it into California's Constitution. Done. So I, I think that's the idea I'm done. Here. I'm in. I'm 100% mm -hmm. in. Thank you very much for yeah. the explanation. The next proposition is Proposition 26. I don't know. Anything else on Prop 1? I feel like it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, the only other thing I would say is that it's endorsed by abortion activists and Governor Newsom is also one of the endorsees of it. So sometimes it's helpful to, to see who has endorsed the different piece of legislation or piece of propositions. They're not legislation. Did we talk about if Newsom and, for re-election? Um, we did not yet, but he is. Yeah. Yep. Newsom is up for re-election. The walking, talking Lego brick. I don't know what that means, Zach. What is a walking, talking Lego brick? It's an insult of some like a, kind, but I don't. You look know like what. a Lego. In in you went away the, the, the yellow skin. It's it's the skin. It's like the hair's all like slicked back. He just looks like like the leg like Lego hair, where it's like it never moves. There's no character to it. Or am I just talking about him? But he just I, what like a, a strange insult! <laughs> I feel like I'm Gavin Newsom Lego. Lego. Did you did you hear that somewhere, or did you? Can get rid of that? That that just came to me. That just came to me in the moment. <laughs> Who's in the ballot to run against him? Lego. I'm only confused that he's up for re-election because I feel like we just voted. That's because there was a vote to repeal him. Is that the right term? There's recall. a recall. There is a yeah, recall. Can't repeal a yeah. Okay. Do we do we recall him early and end his term early, or do we leave him? Well, since we're talking about governor, then so Newsom is is running on the Democrat ticket for governor. He did not provide a governor statement for the ballot packet, the information packet. I guess he feels his record speaks for itself. And on the republic or on the Republican <laughs> side. They go wild. That's how that goes. Oh my god! I don't know what you mean. Yeah, not not a fan. Anyway, on the on the Republican side, Brian Dahl is Dale. Running. I don't know how to pronounce D -A it. D A H L E. So he is the he is the Republican endorsed candidate for governor for California, and he did provide a statement, but I haven't read it yet. Zach, where um, do you go when you're deciding how to vote? I read the packet. And so there's a there's a quick like reference guide that just says what it means to vote yes and what it means to vote no and then kind of some arguments. But then if you dive deeper into the packet, there actually is there's some detailed information that are people that support or oppose the, the proposition. So, for example, if I go to prop one in the packet itself, I can see that the arguments in favor of prop one 
were by board chair of the California Medical Association, by Jody Hicks, president of Planned Parenthood, and by Carol Moon, president of the League of Women's Voters of California. So those are the people that like wrote and endorsed the arguments for Prop 1. And then the arguments against Prop 1, I can see are written by a gynecologist, the president of the International Faith-Based Coalition, and then an assemblyman, Jim Patterson. So I'll read these and I'll take a, a specific look at who is writing the for and mm -hmm. the against. And then they also get rebuttals. And based off of that and the fiscal impact, I'll weigh it against my my judgment of and my values to see what I think should be and shouldn't be made a law. And for the governor? The governor is more straightforward where it's like, I don't like Newsom. I, I have a record, so I'm going to vote Republican on on that ticket just because I don't like, like as a party, the Republican party's endorsed the, the candidate. And I don't like the work of the current ones of the incumbent. So I'm going to vote for Brian. Even though we don't know Brian. Yeah. I love how you refer to politicians by their first. <laughs> My friend Brian is running. <laughs> I guess I do, don't I? Yeah. Mitch. Like McConnell. The turtle. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Mitch the turtle. That's really a good observation. I never noticed that. Oh, my God. You do it sometimes with, like, Ben Shapiro, too. You just call him Ben. <laughs> like, Zach's good personal friend, Ben. That's true. Yeah, I've never met any politician of any note, and yet... First name basis. Yeah. First name basis. First, first name basis, yeah. <laughs> cool. That's funny. Let's get back on track with the remaining California propositions and then close it out with any last minute questions. For sure. I think For we sure. should do the next two propositions together because they both have to do with sports betting. Oh, random. Yeah. Are any of yeah. us the right people yeah. to talk about sports betting? This is probably a bad time to tell you Cass, <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're like super <laughs> in debt because I, I bet the farm. On we the had ponies. a farm and now we don't. <laughs> yeah, it's gone. Yeah. Them so, you know, like, I'm I'm very highly qualified to talk about these two propositions. <laughs> so it's interesting because these two propositions is Proposition 26 and Proposition 27 would actually be like fighting with each other if both of them end up passing and a court would probably have to decide which one applied. So Proposition 26 allows would allow for sports betting on tribal lands and then proposition 27 allows online sports betting across the whole state but because proposition 26 is specific to tribal casinos and horse tracks the, it's in conflict with online betting happening across the whole state so there would actually be a conflict between these two propositions if they both passed and it'd have to go to court and there's some other things too like 26 allows for in-person roulette dice games and i think is this the horse track one or is 27 yes, the horse it track is. one it's the horse track one okay and 26 is horse track so there's in addition to the the tribal casinos there's also four privately held horse track clearly i'm the expert horse track <laughs> rings <laughs> venues tracks yeah and so if yes were to pass, it would authorize sports wagering at in-person casinos and limits sports bets to adults only. 
but it supports Indian reliance by providing revenue for tribal education. Both of these bills are taxed, so the state would see an increase in in some tax revenue. I think the amount was 10% for each. Can I follow up on that real quick? And yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, on the proceeds. So this is interesting. The U.S. Supreme Court, and this is from CalMatters, ruled that states could legalize sports betting in 2018. And there's 35 states that have have already decided to make this legal. California's been trying to negotiate a deal about this since 2018. But Americans have bet more than $57 billion on sports in 2021. So that's across the whole country, but that's a significant amount of money. So, you know, we'll roll that down to California and then you put a 10% tax on it. It's potentially a ton of revenue. Yeah, it could be a big driver for the state. There, There is some speculation that if you're not betting on California land and you're a California okay. resident or if you're or vice versa, if you're actually betting on tribal land on a not California betting site like that like there's some conflicts there like there's that's against these laws so they do mention in the the impacts that there could be some increased cost in enforcement whether or not that is paid for by the revenues generated i would speculate that it would be but that is the cost associated with these is that if you vote no the status quo remains the same and all you know, gambling is the same in in the state of California. If you vote yes, there could be some fiscal revenue that's increased by allowing more gambling to take place, either in the state or on tribal land. But and that and that could be a revenue generator, but it could also come with some enforcement costs. And then there are some advocates who oppose this proposition because they're worried about gambling addiction. And they think allowing gambling in, you know, these areas where it traditionally hasn't, well, not traditionally, where it hasn't been allowed before, like roulette on tribal land, would potentially increase gambling addiction and that we don't have good research on the long-term effects of gambling addiction. So that's one of the opposition points. And specifically Prop 27, because that's the one that allows for online and mobile sports wagering on any, on, in anywhere in California. And so that's the one that I think people are are more concerned about because are concerned about the opportunity for abuse or or breaking that law because who's to say me as an 18 year old you know or a 16 year old that has an iPhone couldn't lie and sign up for an account so that's that's a little bit of the difference there but the point is to allow more gambling in both propositions right because sports betting is currently illegal in California. So that's both of these would make sports betting in these various ways, you know, on travel lands or online legal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Next one. Next one is Prop 28, provides additional funding for arts and music education in public schools. Pretty straightforward. If you vote yes, the increased cost will be about $1 billion annually to provide additional funding from the state general funds for arts and music education in all K-12 public schools. A no vote would mean that the funding remains the same and would continue to depend on state and local budget decisions. So more increased funding for these things, but it obviously comes at a price. Mm -hmm. And just to be clear, this is really specific for music and arts education. So it's allocating a percentage of the funding for 
public schools and community colleges from the state budget, specifically for music and arts. So that's the big push here, you know, that like, yes, we have funding for math and English and all of those other things, but it's really to also provide protection for those other modes of education so that those are being taught in school and, you know, given maybe not the exact same weight, but a higher, you know, more weight than maybe they've been given before or more support, mm -hmm. I, I think is a better way to say it. Interestingly, on this one, just because I did point out about Newsom, there is no con submitted for this. So if you look at your reference guide, there is a pro argument for why this should become, you know, why this should pass. There was no con and there is no information in the against campaign. So I don't know whether that is because nobody was cold hearted enough to say, no, we shouldn't fund music and arts, or if they just like didn't have their act together, but just as a note. So the next one is Prop 29, which would require an on-site licensed medical professional at kidney dialysis clinics and establishes other state requirements. Basically, this is a yes vote would mean that any chronic dialysis clinics would be required to have a physician, nurse, practitioner, or physician's assistant on site. And a no would mean that the, the clinics would not be required and continue to operate as they are today. And if this sounds familiar to you, it should, because this is the third yep. time that this proposition has been on the ballot. It was defeated the last two times. And yeah. I, I mean, correct me if I'm going to overgeneralize here, Zach, but it's really boiling down to a fight between a labor union and the dialysis companies in who wants this to happen. Mm -hmm. It's the labor union who has brought this proposition the last three times and dialysis companies have spent like really millions to defeat this proposition. So there's a lot of interesting competing interest here on the two sides of this proposition. Thanks for that insight. I didn't know about that, but the pros and the cons or the arguments for and against this are actually very emotionally charged where, and, and there's some value, I think, to both. Basically, the pro argument is, is this is a medical related activity. There can become complications. You know, you're basically taking your blood out of your body. You're putting it through this machine to clean it and then inserting it back in. This should be done under the practice of somebody who knows about these things rather than just a private service providing this. And the con is, as well, if you implement this change, it will drive up the cost and we will probably have a lot of these centers close which means I won't be able to get my actual dialysis treatment. So while you're, you're trying to implement this to be more safe and have more oversight, it actually means that I may not end up getting my dialysis treatment at all. Yeah, I think this is one if you, you know, haven't thought about it very carefully, it's worth diving into a little bit, I think. There's just a lot of powerful interests at play here. There's two main dialysis companies that operate most of the dialysis clinics in the state. This obviously really affects them. And so they fight really hard against it. And then you have, you know, the union on the other side. And to be honest, I don't know quite as much about that, which is why I think it's worth it. Even if you've seen this, you're like, well, I'll just vote the same as last time. It might be, this might be one where it's worth it for, for you to do a little bit of your own research on it and, and come to a decision on whether this, you think this really makes sense or not. The next one is providing funding for programs to reduce air pollution and prevent wildfires by increasing tax on personal income over $2 million. 
a lot of words to say, if you make more than $2 million, you're going to get taxed more. Yep. It's a 1.75 personal income tax. And that tax, the amount from that tax goes to subsidize zero emission vehicles and fund wildlife response and prevention. They think that it will be between $3.5 billion to $5 billion annually growing over time. Oh, yeah. Thanks for pointing that out, Aaron. The fiscal impact for the last one, the, the, the dialysis one, is increased state and local government costs likely in the tens of millions. And then I think we mentioned it, but the arts and, and music one is a $1 billion. So that's the fiscal impact to voters. So for this one, yeah, 3.5 to $5 billion annually, as Aaron mentioned. That's pretty easy Anything one. for that one? <laughs> I mean, I think that one just... Pretty straightforward. It, yeah, it really goes to how you feel about people being taxed, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then lastly is a referendum on 2020 law that would prohibit the retail sale of certain flavored tobacco products. So like e-cigarettes, flavored e-cigarettes and, and the banning of those. So this would be about yes means in-person stores and vending machines could not sell most flavored tobacco products. And a no signature means in-person stores and vending machines could continue to sell flavored tobacco products. And that's an important yes, no, because this is about overturning a current law. And so voting yes is upholding the current law. Voting no would strike down mm -hmm. the law. So that's one that's important to be careful about, you know, making sure you know what you're voting for. Wait, no means that they could continue to sell the flavored products. Right. But, well, no would mean that they could sell the flavored products. There's a 2020 law that prohibits yeah. the sale of flavored products. So if you vote no, you're voting to strike down that law and allow them to sell flavored products. And if you vote yes, you're oh, hold the law and not allow them to sell the flavored products. I was confused because of the the continue to sell, which means right. that they would be like allowed to resume selling. Like they're yeah. currently <laughs> not allowed to. So if you vote no, it means that yes, they would be allowed to. Mm -hmm. So the argument here is that if you go on to use cigarettes or other drugs, like typically now the gateway is flavored tobacco products. That's where people, a lot of kids start. And then the against is vote no on prop31.com, which is probably it. <laughs> Fun for yeah yeah somebody else company but, uh, being able to sell their product and personal choice yeah. and all of that I would guess yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay that's it those are the ballot props for yeah, the year what was the one we got the mail on that had don't let prop something something make you a sucker and then on the back it's like just a bunch of pictures of people with suckers. <laughs> The material was like, like on the front of it was just a, a two-sided flyer. The front of it said, people who want Prop 26, like think Californians are suckers. And then you flip it over and it's like a person surfing and like a couple like walking in a farmer's market. And instead of it being like their faces was just like a Photoshop picture of like one of those like flat spirally lollipops over the face. And so like the implication was like, <laughs> Californians are suckers if they go for this. It was, it was kind of a funny bit of, of campaigning, which I... Appreciated from just the regular like doomsday <laughs> kind of stuff. It was it was a little bit funny. <laughs> yeah, oh, good times. Well, listeners, I hope that was helpful to walk through all of those ballot propositions. 
you can now listen to this podcast instead of reading all about them. Although, again, I encourage you to do your own research. These are just, you know, brief summaries with obviously a little bit of our biased commentary. So be sure to look into that yourselves. But, you know, excited for the midterms. November 8th, if you are someone who has a mail-in voting ballot in California, this is all most people, your ballot needs to be posted by election day, which is November 8th. So you can put it in the mail on election day. It needs to be received by November 15th. And you can mail it as soon as you get it. So if you want to be really on top of it, just fill it out once you get it and send it in the mail so that you don't forget and aren't rushing on election day. And those should be coming soon, I think, in the next like week or something. Mail-in ballots should be arriving to you at your registered address. So we mentioned governor is up for election. Also, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, controller, treasurer, attorney general, and insurance commissioner, all of those state-held positions are also up for election this year, as well as your local state reps. So depending on the cycle and, and the year and stuff like that, your county representative will probably or may be up for election as well, which is not covered in the general packet. So that one is like you got to check out on your own. Okay, and then we just want to end with, if you're not yet registered to vote, now is a great time to do so. You can learn how to register to vote by going to vote.gov, and that'll begin your voter registration process. And then from there, you just select your state or territory. Depending on the rules, you'll find instructions on how to register online or by mail or in person at your local election office. It's super, super important that everybody registers to vote, what you think really, really matters. If you're getting ready to vote for the first time, there's a lot of great resources online. And just a reminder that every state except North Dakota does require citizens to register if they want to be a voter. So depending on your state, the registration deadline could be as much as a month before an election. So you can check the U.S. Vote Foundation to find your state's deadline for registering. You can also check your state or territory's election office for more details. But again, visiting vote.gov is a great place to begin the registration process. Just got to continue that plug. You know, we're, we're really lucky to live in a democracy that listens to our voice. And really the main way that we exercise that is through voting. And it's a responsibility for us as citizens. And just want to really encourage everyone to embrace that right and that freedom and come out to vote. And honestly, it's really, really easy. Yeah. I'm one of the most lazy people ever. And if I can do it, you guys can do it. So don't don't worry. It doesn't take very long. A lot of times people who became introverts over the pandemic, you can just mail in your vote. So you don't even have to go to a place, wait in a line, pay for a stamp, none of that. So it's really, really easy to do. Just make sure you do it. Yeah. You also get time off work too, right? It's like federal law that your employer has to let you have time off work to go vote. It's like four hours or something like it's a long time. Two uh, hours. To allow for lines. Oh, two hours. Sorry. It's two hours, but more if you need it. So. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, it really is a responsibility. You know, it, it is a right to vote. You know, we always say that around, you know, throw that line around, but it really is a responsibility to vote. You know, we do live in, in one of the few true, you know, rep representative republics where our voice does matter. We're not direct democracy, but, but we vote for people who speak for us. And that is not common 
in the world or historically. So it, it really is incumbent upon all of us to take that seriously and don't just throw away a vote or, you know, vote willy nilly, but, you know, your school board people may be up for election or, you know, city mayor or whatever. And like that stuff directly affects you so much more than president or whatever. Like we spent so much time talking about the big stuff because that's most applicable for our, our audience, but like your mayor affects your city life so much more than, you know, voting for your president. So really take the time. It's, it's very important and it matters. It really does matter. And one other thing on that, we would love to see your voting posts, your I voted stickers, yeah, sending your voting in the in the mail. So, you know, on November 8th or whenever you go in to vote, please tag Reframers Podcast on Instagram. We'll repost you to our story. We would love to see all of your votes going in. Yes, that's that's so that's fun. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'll definitely do it. I'll go somewhere and get a sticker. Oh no, we get a sticker with our mail-in ballot. So even if you mail yours in and don't go somewhere physical, put your sticker on and and go on Instagram, tag us yeah. at Reframers Pod. Instagram is our still our most active platform, but we are going to be expanding more regularly to YouTube and TikTok. You can always send us an email if you have something you'd like to say or you have any questions. If you want to request an upcoming podcast episode, you can email us reframerspod at gmail.com. And you guys, we love seeing you wherever you choose to find us. As you might already know, you can hear us on pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. I know most of you are listening on Apple Podcasts, but we are also on Spotify, iHeartRadio. You can see us on YouTube. And that's for a full episode. And then, of course, we have our website, reframerspod.com, which has much of this information and is also a place for you to listen to the website, to the episodes. So thank you guys so much, as always, for being a reframer with us, reframing what it means to discuss and disagree all of these crazy political things. And one more tiny thing, happy for your wedding anniversary to my co-host, Zachary Alexander-Marr. Yay. Yay. Happy anniversary, my love. Yay. Happy anniversary to Aaron doing the office dance down the aisle in front of 200 people at our one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys had such a fun The best day. It's been a good four years. <laughs> Cheers to 40 yeah. more. Yeah, sure. <laughs> for you guys. Mm-hmm. 84. <laughs> 80 more. What, what are you dumping me at? That's at 70? it. That's it. That's all I signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> all righty, friends. Tell us if you think we did a good job. Tell us if you think we did a bad job. Either way, we're glad you're out there listening and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Reframers Pod. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please rate and review us five stars and subscribe so you can always catch our latest episode. You can also find us on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Reframers Pod. And you can email us at reframerspod at gmail.com. 